I'm Kristen O'Brien, Managing Editor at NFX. How would a government regulate social media when the thing they need to regulate, content, is happening in real time billions of times a day? These aren't printing presses anymore. These are networks, and network problems demand network solutions. Today with Chris Anderson, former editor-in-chief at Wired, and James Courier, general partner at NFX, we're proposing a solution to bridge the divide of technology and society. But to get there, here's Chris and James breaking down what Silicon Valley CEOs and government regulators need to understand about the new era of regulating networks. We start with the word stewardship. Um, but there was a notion that that once tech companies get to a certain scale, they have responsibilities, you know, beyond those to their employees and their shareholders. And, you know, we can debate whether or not that's the case. But clearly, we're, we're this is being played out in real time. You know, Congress feels they do. China feels they do. Many people. They do so. It's it's worth thinking about how do we as 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 capitalists and, and as you know and in our, when we talked before, you know I think that companies suck at this stuff. They suck at stewardship and they really are only good at, at you know at, at their customers, their employees, and their, and their shareholders. So how do we you know find a way to satisfy society's needs that don't com- that aren't completely ineffective or cripple a company's ability to be a company? Yeah, yeah. The, the control of the language and the, and the public sphere changes when technology changes and the technology has changed. Right. And it's not just a matter of technology changing, but also scale matters. L- little companies can get away with murder. Big companies shouldn't, can't, you know, maybe do, but, you know, but, but, but not for long. Um, and so I, I, I think, I think, you know, that you have, you have, you know, at least two dimensions that we can explore here. One dimension is the idea that, you know, the big companies are different. The big is different. Define big by something, by some metric. Um, the other is that the, you know, that the, the levers of, you know, you know, the, the social compact between companies and, and society um, have, uh, you know, fail as technology changes. You know, they, 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 you know, basically technology moves faster than regulation and laws and that kind of stuff. And as a result, we find ourselves constantly in the gray zone, um, with, with nobody happy. Um, and so, and so, you know, it's, you know, you can't just say, well, let antitrust deal with it because antitrust moves at the pace of, you know, tectonic, you know, age. Um, you can't say let the courts deal with it because, you know, again, slow. You can't, you know, you can't say just let the market deal with it because we've seen what happens. And so there must be something else that's sort of nimble um, and aligned, impedance matched even with a company's internal processes that can represent society's interests. Yeah, yeah. And, and so you brought up the concept of the ombudsman. But the Wikipedia entry on ombudsman is is really excellent, and um, if I could just sort of you know just just read the first two paragraphs um, as we're sitting here and sort of ask ask you know is this this kind of solved problem elsewhere? Uh, an ombudsman ombudsman rather is an official who's charged with representing the interests of the public by investigating and addressing complaints of maladministration or violation of rights usually appointed by the government or by parliament but with significant degree of independence in some countries um, it's, it's similar to like an a citizen's advocate or an inspector general um, uh, below the national level an ombudsman may be uh, maybe even appointed for or work appointed by or work for a corporation um, such as newspaper or NGO or professional regulatory body. 
Typical duty of an ombudsman are to investigate complaints and attempt to resolve them, usually through recommendations or mediation. They sometimes aim to identify systemic issues leading to poor service or breaches of people's rights. Anyway, it goes on and you can, you can read it there, but it seems to me that there's so much, you know, that the advantage of an ombudsman is it's a well understood role, um, that, that in, involves the, the characteristics of independence as well as, um, as power. An ombudsman, an ombudsman has, if nothing else, a bully pulpit. And often, you know, and, and often they do have sort of, you know, um, uh, you know, mediation or sort of legal power to, uh, you know, to force their the entity that they work with to, to follow the recommendation. Um, and they're faster and more nimble than a committee or a court, um, you know, with Facebook's disastrous or not disastrous, but Facebook's, you know, um, uh, you know, board as an example of, you know, what doesn't seem to be scalable or working. Um, an ombudsman could be more effective. And we have great, we have, you know, decades of precedence, precedent rather with newspapers, which are the closest thing, the closest analogy we have to, you know, social media. So anyway, that's, that's kind of where I start. Yeah. Yeah. And you're talking, when you talk about the board, you're talking about the Facebook Oversight Board, which they've been publicizing more. Yeah, so the Facebook Oversight Board is has certain qualities which are good, such as independence. Um, uh, they're transparent, which is good, um, but they're entirely complaint-driven. And it seems like they can only handle three or four complaints a quarter, as, as far as I can tell. Um, and then, you know, of the first five, I got it, one of them at least disastrously wrong. Um, now, you know, I'll bet Facebook gets it wrong by at least the same proportion. Um, but, you know, what's the point? If this, if this, if this board gets it wrong, you know, about the same proportion of Facebook, um, you know, what have we achieved? Right. And also, I mean, there's also other reasons to be critical of that structure that they've got there in terms of how they're compensating the people who are on the board. Sure. Um, the, the, you know, the speed with which they're doing things. Um, I, I just think there's a, there's a kind of a, um, you know, I, I, my main concern is that they're slow and, and bureaucratic, you know, it's a committee. Um, it, seems, it seems more like a court than a board. Um, and uh, that, um, that they're entirely complaint driven. So they have no purview over Facebook's algorithms for example, you know, so Facebook's makes, makes, you know, thumbs up, thumbs down decisions about whether certain posts should be kept up or down, uh, up or not. And, and the board can reverse that if need be, but the board can't change the underlying the algorithms that Facebook uses that create more problems than any individual case. Right. And they're not smart enough to think about how the interface might change. Exactly. Exactly. So here's the issue. It's like one of the, one of the things that made newspapers a little bit easier to, to manage was that, Anybody could understand the technology of a newspaper. They could see a column inch. They could see a photo. They could see a headline, which was bigger, what was small. They could see, you know, who had written it. These interfaces drive behavior of billions of posts a day that are driven by the software design. How big is the box that you type into? Who gets to see that? You know, is the button called a like button or is, or is it more nuanced than that? These sorts of more fundamental decisions about the playground in which we're all playing, very few people in the world are good at that at all, including most of the people at Facebook and certainly at the thousands of you know, social media startups that have existed over the last decade, which have gotten no traction. People who committed their lives to being good at that were still no good at it. It's a very difficult thing to do. It's a little bit like refining uranium. Like One of the reasons that nuclear weapons haven't proliferated is because 
refining uranium is just damn hard. So I, w- I would argue that they're that they're more similar than than you think. So you described two elements of of the UI. So you described the sort of you know the, the the user interface of Facebook and the user interface of a newspaper headline, you know, text, etc. But in both cases, there's a real as an opaque and sort of black magicy process that gets into that. So an algorithm recommendations and you know is is, is what's going on in the back of and then behind the scenes of a newspaper is is reporting, which involves human beings trying to you know filter through a lot of noise and understand what's the truth. Um, involving, you know, some elements of rep- repertorial techniques, some elements of judgment, um, some elements of bias or, or, or lack thereof. Um, and so I would argue that in both cases, there isn't, there isn't, there is some sausage making. There's an algorithm. There's an algorithm. In both cases, there's an algorithm, which is not apparent to the outside world. Um, and then an ombudsman it would have visibility into both. So an ombudsman at a newspaper, if somebody complains and says, you know, your article about climate change, um, you, you got, you got a, you, 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 for, for reasons that are unclear, you decided to have a skeptic, you know, a climate change, uh, you know, skeptic, uh, to match your climate, climate change believers, even though believers are 99%, 99.999, you know, you decided in the interest of balance to give the skeptics equal, equal time. Um, so that's a terrible algorithm. Well, that is in fact, the algorithm of, of, of media is to try to bring balance, but not all issues deserve equal balance. And you could argue that that's an algorithm badly, badly um, deployed. And that Facebook also has sort of well-meaning algorithms that sometimes just don't, aren't well deployed. But it's a simple algorithm in the sense that once you publish a newspaper, it gets published, let's say once a day on the old technology. And it was published the same to everyone. Both those things aren't true in the, in the digital media because it's being published all the time. Who saw what? What time of day did they see it? What was it next to? Like, that's different for everyone. And so the algorithm, the complexity for someone to adjudicate on the content of the network was much easier in the old technology than it is in the new technology. For sure. And my point would be that the 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 structure of the the product itself, Facebook versus Snapchat versus TikTok, they have different interfaces. They have different, and those things end up impacting what gets shared and how it gets shared. That that's true. I mean, you're you're absolutely right that newspapers are one size fits all, um, and so you know you you know it's it's not to say that this this article was right for him but not for her. Um, it is it is it is right for everybody or it's right for nobody. It's Whereas, if you're an ombudsman or an advisory, board, you a, a, absolutely, you could say you could say. Well, you could say there's a threshold, and and this this article did not rise above our quality threshold, and should not have been exposed to anybody. Whereas in Facebook, you could say, well, you know, maybe this post isn't right for everybody, but it might be right for her. Um, and and so it's a much more difficult, um, you know, problem. However, I would argue that if you're looking for binaries, um, you know, the the atomic unit of action here is take the post down for everybody. Or not take it down for everybody, and so there is there is some similarity in that respect. Yes, there is a crossover in those cases, but the oversight of the system is more complex in the new world by far than it was in the old world. So you could argue that there's a there's a you know a, there's there's three classes of content. There's content that's fine. There, there's, it's clearly fine for everybody. There's content that's clearly not fine for everybody. And then there's this gray zone where this content might be fine for some people, but not for everybody. And, you know, and 
you know, it, it's, it's easy to deal with one and three, and it's difficult to deal with, with, with two. And you could argue that, you know, the first thing the ombudsman or whatever should do is just d- make sure that we're really good at the stuff that nobody should see, right? And that's essentially what the Facebook, you know, um, oversight board is doing is saying this, sh- nobody should have seen this. Or maybe every maybe everybody should have seen this, but you got it wrong. Facebook, right. um, you know that, the, speed, the speed with which Facebook and other systems like Twitter work, though, is so fast that there's no time to go back and say, "Well, we should have seen it." Well, that it was it came out 15 minutes ago. That means 42 million people already saw it. They've copied it, and now they can spread it elsewhere, right? And so, 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 not only is the deciding more difficult because not everybody can run a MySQL query to figure out who saw what when. Whereas a normal human can just read a piece of paper, but but now you 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 don't have the time to actually. Well, 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 well clearly there's yeah there's no utility in an oversight board or an ombudsman you know three weeks later having a post restored after it's no longer relevant. The only utility is deriving some lasting lesson from that mistake and changing the underlying algorithm so it doesn't happen again. That's right, and, and or algorithm and or interface and or policy. And, it, can, and, it could be all three. It could be it could be an algorithm. It could be human beings just instructed differently, or it could be how you display. Yeah, yeah, it could be. You know, as an example, in terms of in terms of how people should understand the the, the design choices, right? If um, if on Instagram the like button is bigger, and then the size of the the count of your like numbers is bigger on the page, it's very clearly indicating to you that you are playing this game to get the most number of likes. People then go in and spend hours figuring out which thing they can post to get them the most likes. And what they inevitably find is that the most extreme content gets the most likes. So, so I mean, you know, you've now escalated this discussion up into something much bigger than a kind of a case-by-case content decision. You've now, you've now escalated it to the overall sort of, you know, the raison d'etre of any, of any platform. Is the, is the, is this, is this platform about, about, you know, about getting likes? Is it about, you know, increasing your follower count? Is it simply about community? You know? And so, I mean, I, I wonder whether that's scope creep. In other words, it, would it be appropriate for, you know, a body of some sort uh, a you know an, an advisory board or, or ombudsman or even the Congress to tell Facebook they can't have likes. Right, that's that's the that's the question, and that's the extreme version. I don't think I'm proposing that, but I do want everyone who's thinking about this issue to be clear that the design of the product itself drives certain behavior, and we can't get away from that. It, it absolutely does. And, it, and, and, you know, but that is, that's, you know, you could argue that's a root cause. Like, you know, okay, let's imagine you've got like a, some conflict and the, and the root cause of the conflict is like, you know, a civil war 300 years ago that people are still angry about, right? You know, it's like the UN can't do anything about that. And so what they do, what they do is they come in and they say, okay, given that you're all really angry, how do we, how do we, you know, stop you from killing each other? Um, and so I think that what you've described there about the sort of the underlying motivations or incentives of a platform are probably baked in to some degree. Um, I, I agree. I agree. But, but I will say this. I will say that we can put a lot of mechanisms, ombudsman and other things on top. But fundamentally, what's happening is because Facebook is driven by ad revenue, they necessarily are driven by dwell time, time on site. 
And Zuckerberg, according to people close to him, this has been true from day one, and this is still true. This is the mental model driving his decisions that's preventing him from realizing that becoming a statesman or becoming a, uh, a steward is required once you have this platform because he's so attached to well time. And in case you, and, and it's absolutely true that you know we are driven by the baser the baser elements of our of our of our but of our soul. He's not there for money. Let me be clear. I don't say he's doing that because he wants to make more money. He's already worth 120 billion or whatever it is that he's worth. It's not that he wants 130 billion. It's that he wants to maintain his relevance. He wants absolutely. to maintain his power. He wants to maintain his ecosystem that he's built and all the people he's employing and all the love that he gets. For sure for sure. Um, so, so you know, let's say that that engagement is how he measures, is how he keeps score. Now, it, money is how, how Wall Street keeps score of engagement, but Zuckerberg keeps keeps score on how how relevant, you know, how well he's he's delivering at his vision with engagement. And it's true that the you know that the um, that the, that the darker angels of our soul, um, you know, including things like conflict and and you know and, and tribalism, do engage us. Um, and, and, you know, and, and you've, you've seen the social network and you've, and you've, and you've read the book and, and it, it's clear there's, there's like, there's like, you know, and by the way, they said the same thing about television, you know, the base that, you know, our, our baser instincts, et cetera. So it is true. It is true that, you know, that our, um, technology has moved faster than our evolution. And for the, in the same way that we like sugar and fat, you know, we like, we like, you know, conflict and titillation and, um, you know, and, and, you know, television, like tabloids, like Facebook is just giving us what we want, you know, and, and by the way, um, you know, there is, there are certainly regulatory bodies that will stop us from taking drugs, you know, you know, like, you know, you know, because even though our body wants them, they, you know, the, the, you know, the, the DA will, will stop us, um, you know, from taking them or FBI or FDA or USDA or whatever. And so there, there are certain substances that are considered so harmful and bad for society that they must be regulated. And you could call Facebook a class, a class, what is it, class A, class A? Class what? one drug, class one drug. Yeah. Exactly. You could call it a class one drug and you could, and you could regulate it. I, you know, that, that feels draconian. Um, but you know, we, we certainly have that, that lever. And in China, by the way, they're super happy to, to, to declare Falun Gong, a religion, a class one drug and ban it. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know, opiate yeah. of the and masses, they're, right? <laughs> they're perfectly happy to put up their wall and decide exactly like, like iOS can decide what apps go on iOS. The Chinese government can decide what goes on the internet. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so, you know, not only is that possible, but it is, has been done by a perfectly valid, you know, um, parallel universe, um, which is China. Um, now we believe that there is a, there's a cost to that, a cost of free speech and democracy and things. And we, we believe that's a, that's a price too high, uh, to pay. Right. 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 And so we have these things where we agree. And then we have these things where, uh, uh, we, it's unclear. And in those spaces is required in most societies, I believe, some sort of temperament, some tempering of behavior. So, for instance, Jack Ma went past that tempering point in China, and now he's disappeared <laughs> because the Chinese government decided he, he had gone too far. He lost the thread of being a steward of his position in society. And right? so, so I mean, I mean, it's a great example because, um, you know, 
the average Chinese person would say, no way. I mean, he's a hero. You know, he is, he is, he is someone we would all like to emulate. Um, the Chinese government clamped down. Why did they, did he do anything wrong in particular? Probably not. The, what the Chinese government is always concerned about is um, centrifugal forces, which is to say, you know, power distributing, whether power could distribute to the cities and the mayors, that would be bad. Power could be distributing to comp- individuals or companies, and that would be a, any any um, any distribution of power, any decentralization of power is a threat to the Chinese you know, Communist Party. And if you're the CEO of a company and you become too rich and powerful, they will find some violation of the law because, you know, basically, Basically, everything's against the law in China. It's just indifferently in, um, enforced. You know, they will find something and they will dial you back in. So that is simply a control um, factor. Um, and, you know, I think we don't believe that the central government should maintain control and that if any entity gets too big, it, it you know, it threatens Washington, well, our system, D.C. Our system is built on the opposite perspective, which exactly. is that of a balanced network structure. Exactly. So we believe yeah, in democracy. Well, that's the foundation of our true American exceptionalism is we've been able to build this distributed network structure where everyone's encouraged to balance. Absolutely. So between the three things of federalism, democracy and the balance of powers, we we have we have we have chosen a path which is not the Chinese path. And any decision we make about social media should be coherent and consistent with that path. Right. That's right. That's right. But but now we've got these new people sitting at the table of the balance of powers, right? Suddenly you have a Jack Dorsey, suddenly you have a Mark Zuckerberg who, you know, are not vetted. They are not trained in stewardship or statesmanship. They are trained in A-B testing. Right. Well, we've, we've always had those individuals. They used to be called newspaper owners, you know, the, the, the William Randolph Hearsts of, of the world. Um, and uh, they too were not trained. They, they too, you know, were, were just, were just, you know, entrepreneurs. However, their, um, the media was regulated by the FCC. So there were standards of media, both, both broadcast and, and, and print. And there was a kind of a gentleman's contract, um, within, within the media that they had certain that, you know, with great power comes great responsibility. And they accepted that cultural idea, that mental model. For at least sixty or eighty years. Yeah, you could argue that every now and then one of them, one of them would go off the reservation. You know, Murdoch or Fox News or even William Randolph Hearst. You could argue they they they've kind of violated the, you know, the the social norms of media. But but by and large, they were sort of you know the the, the idea was it's like owning a football team. You know, w- w- once you're in the club, you kind of have to abide by uh, abide by the rules. Yeah, that's right. Or you're not going to get the social benefit that you want, and that that is the the un uh, legal the non you can't write those into laws this is the sort of cultural norming that takes place in the fuzzy center where it's unclear and every society needs that and and and, and you, could, you know, there were professional bodies and associations that were designed to both you know set standards and enforce standards they had sort of you know moral suasion if not legal legal power but there definitely was a sense that you know that you know that there are like trade there, there was there sort of industrial norms and that if you were a newspaper um, or any other form of medium and you know like 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 doctors and, and accountants and all have you know professional bodies that that if you kind of violated these social norms um, you were called out at least. And you, you could be you were thrown into jail. There was no like a clear white line that, or black line that you could cross. And the same thing is going to be true forever. Now, the, the Chinese government, they can't paint the exact lines either. So when Jack Ma disappears, we're all surprised. 
did he violate a law? No, he just kind of strayed too far. And every society, whether you're, you know, an authoritarian version like China or whether you're a more balanced version like us, everyone needs some sort of cultural norms to help adjudicate those muddy centers. And when you, when you get too much power, like a, a Zuckerberg, there's a, a gentleman's agreement, if you will, that you're going to hand some of that back over to other folks so that the balance of power stays in balance and the system continues to function optimally or close to optimally. And there's some debate. Right now, there is no debate. Do you think there is a gentleman's agreement that that's the case? There was. There was, there was probably, but you know, back in the there days. Wasn't of Murdoch. Yeah, there wasn't yeah. until Murdoch and until the internet. And, and now, and I think, I think this has been thrust upon, this has been thrust upon Dorsey and thrust upon Zuckerberg. And they aren't aware of those cultural norms. They aren't aware that there's this requirement in order for society to function better. And that perhaps you don't maximize your dwell time on Facebook. Maybe instead of having a $750 billion company, you just have a $550 billion company. And that that $200 million of loss of, of, of you know, value today allows you to still have $550 billion in 20 years versus split getting split up and doing all that mess. you know in in um in in the 20th century um when there was the you know the great global battle between capitalism and and, and communism um you know the countries that were flirting with socialism would say that any time a company got too big it would be nationalized um in the interest of you know the you know security or or, or, the, or the people or whatever and so and so there, you know that was always a threat and you know there was a, in even in AT&T's um time there was a there was a um a move to nationalize AT&T instead they broke it up but you know so there's there has been that 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 stick in our past now you know i don't think that it's plausible to nationalize facebook <laughs> you know right because no one no one could run it within a year or two i guarantee you that product would die because th- it's like a piece of art it's it's a living thing and the, the, the balance that it took, look, Facebook was the 150th social network to get going with the same five features. It's very delicate how these things run. And if you try to do something like that, the talent would leave and the thing would deteriorate and it would die. It would go away. Yeah. And of course, that was, that was true for the telcos and the water companies and the electric companies as well. And they all, they all sort of, you know, entropically degraded after nationalization, Venezuela being the sort of the, the, you know, the primary example. However, it took decades for Telefonica to suck, <laughs> you know. I'm not actually. I'm not sure whether it took. De- they probably sucked to start with, but but it did took decades. This would happen all overnight. This would happen overnight because, well, for lots of reasons, the net, the, the physical network effects that those telephone systems have are really the strongest network effects in the world, and the technology is relatively simple, so that tens of thousands of people can understand it, repair it, maintain it, and so it's it's a lot easier than digital interfaces and, and viral flows and A/B testing and all the and all that. You know, the, the, the trust and safety stuff that Facebook and Twitter do is just enormous, just enormous. Let me bring up another historic example, which is more recent and might be real. Um, so in between the newspaper era and the social media era, there was the banner ad, the, you know, Web, web 1.0. And they were like, you know, and there was the Internet Advertising Bureau and the people who did, you know, ad tech, for lack of a better word, were members of the Internet Advertising Bureau. And they agreed on things like sizes of banner ads and, you know, cookies and some some basic standards and, and norms. Um, once third party advertising kind of disappeared and it all went to first party, it went to, you know, social media advertising. You know, I don't know whether the Internet Advertising Bureau has any impact, any influence anymore. 
Does there, do you know anything about that, that era? Well, no, I mean, with, with Google and, and Facebook absorbing 85% of all the advertising online, there's, they just get to decide what they want to do. There's, the IAB still impacts the other people, but it doesn't happen. And the IAB could not be a norm setter for Google and Facebook? No. They wouldn't I accept, think, yeah. No, I think they were a political entity helping with very simple things like banner sizes. I don't think it was anything other than standardization for the flow of commerce, just like you have an Ethernet standard and you maintain the Ethernet do, do you think that it is a um, attractive proposition to say to Mark Zuckerberg, um, accept the following limits? It'll cost you, you know, thirty percent of your of your of your revenues, um, but do it because it's good for the world. Or is there a better way to sell this? It's <sighs> a great question. I, um, if it were, if I were Mark, it would be attractive to me. Because well, you, you have to say or else. There has to be a. There has to be. You know, the alternative is worse, right? Right. <laughs> Right. I mean, I think, you know, one of the puzzling things to me, Chris, is that, you know, that Facebook thinks that they're not going to get broken up if they integrate their back end. I don't understand why the government would even care about that. I mean, what the government should be caring about is the fact that if they split the company up, you're now going to have three or four different management teams trying to do trust and safety, you know, get rid of the child porn, getting rid of the hate speech. It's hard to do. And it requires a lot of algorithmic work. And who can afford the very smart people? And if you split the companies up, they might not do as good a job as Facebook is doing. I have no idea. I mean, you could argue that even, you know, if you take out, you know, WhatsApp and Instagram and Facebook, you know, all three of them have critical mass. All, all three of them are, you know, have enough resources to do a good job of that. And they're different enough that maybe good at that is different between the three and it would be better for them to focus. It could be. It could be. It's hard to know which way that would go. But it's certainly mean, just take YouTube versus Google. I mean, they are pretty radically different. Now there's probably some, some shared, you know, technology in the back end, but again, they both, they, they both have enough resources to, to, to do a good job. So I, I think that. But you look at, you look at a person like Bezos, right? Who's got his, his, his money, he's got his fame. And now he's turning to buy the Washington post, right. And trying to keep the Washington post to be a steward organization as it has been for the last eight years. And then he's looking at, you know, space exploration. He's, he now wants to leave Amazon and start spending his time on things that are more about his legacy and about the future of humanity. And his mindset has shifted from the rapaciousness that was required for him to get where he is to a place of more stewardship. He's made that ma- maturing jump, as Joseph Campbell would discuss in Hero of a Thousand Faces. And that, I believe, is what could happen to a Zuckerberg and to a Dorsey. For, for sure. I mean, I, 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 you use stewardship, I would say, you know, philanthropy. I mean, for example, you know, Bug, Bezos's, you know, interests also include climate change, um, you know, environmental and, you know, and, and Gates uh, as well. So, you know, I think what they decided was that the best vehicle for them to exercise their social obligations was not their company. They had to leave their company and take their money, and only then could they would they be free to to be the steward they wanted to be. Because they needed to pursue high share prices well, for all of their employees, and they were stuck in that mindset. You, all sorts of conflicts of interest. But, you could say they had they had shareholder conflicts. So you said they had just sort of you know MP, just bandwidth you know competition. Um, but it just it just felt more natural for them to make a clean break. And you've argued this for twenty years, right, Chris? That- I, I have. I, I, I've argued. I mean, um, so uh, back when in, when I was at the Economist, you know, back in the in the nineties, um, we argued this 
you know, this is where they're the beginnings of corporate social responsibility. And there was this sort of CSR movement. And um, I was on this team that argued um, against it um, on the grounds that companies suck at this. Um, and that, you know, that, that, that governments are good at, at, at social issues or governments are good at deciding what you know, society's priorities should be. And companies are really good at you know, achieving shareholder value, maximizing, maximizing shareholder, shareholder value. And the companies tried to do them both, they'll do them both badly. Um, and so that, you know, the best thing for different companies to do is to be the, to be the, you know, the profit seeking entities that they're very good at. Government is designed to check them in. And then and there's a, you know, a balance, you know, the companies, you know, create a thriving economy, the government, you know, reins them in when they go too far, everyone knows their role. Um, and, you know, I think it's, I think, I think, you know, you could argue the jury's still out on corporate social responsibility, but a lot of it has, I think, been, um, either ineffective or window dressing. Sure. But you, you can find, uh, you know, Howard Schultz or whatever, who running Starbucks to give healthcare to all of his part-time people or, you know, Hilton hotels doing the same thing in the fifties, uh, with their, you know, maids or, um, and, and you, know, you could, you could argue that. You could argue that 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 is, um, you know, that's very aligned with their with their profit seeking. It, it just could be that that's a win win. People talk about the triple bottom line, you know, good for the company and good for the environment. In, term, in the long term, it's probably better for Starbucks for him to have done that, and he might have been right by doing it, even though at the time people thought it was controversial and the stock price, you know, shot down, blah blah, blah thinking, oh, he's too much of an activist. But you might make the same argument with something like social media, which is a particular type of a product which requires some sort of maturity in order to manage. And it can't be as rapacious as maybe some other forms of business. Because a lot of its value, a lot of its value is coming from the ownership of the social sphere. Yet that is a commons. That is a collectively owned thing. Whereas coffee, I can choose to go to Pete's. I can choose to go whatever. You know, when you, it, it, there's even more of a reason for. I, I'm not sure. Leaders. I'm, I'm- I'm, I'm getting the distinction. So Facebook doesn't own the social sphere. They, you know, they, they, um, they bet they have your time if you choose to give it to them, but there's many other places you can go. What's the distinction between that you're drawing between those, between uh, well, Facebook and Starbucks? One's a product and the other is something that affects how you think. It's like running a news program. It's a, it's a news feed. Okay, that, that's true. That's true. But in terms in terms of individual choice and individual action, they're, they're the same. Starbucks has got you know has got a, you know a, a lot of coffee shops. Facebook has a lot of uh, a lot of eyeballs. Um, but you know, if you don't like it, you know, we we have we we choose to give Facebook its power. Yeah, but 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 Starbucks isn't letting you think about you know anti vaxxing. It's that's it's it's not letting you think about you know uh, Proud Boys and and storming the Capitol. Like that's not what it does. It's, it gives you coffee. It might say, you know, let's let's give some more money to the people in Colombia, but it's like the marginal political. Yeah, I mean, I mean, there, there are certainly people who believe that Starbucks is a gentrifying influence and you know destroys local coffee. I mean, there are certainly there are people who will find a social bad from any large multinational corporation. Um, you know, for all sorts of reasons, including competitive ones. They just have they just have you know access to capital. Um, so, you know, I, so I think there's, um, yeah, there are s- some analogies, uh, there, but get, getting back to sort of, you know, what, you know, w- what Facebook sh- should do. Um, so Facebook is now threatened with the breakup, which may or may not be plausible. Um, they are aware, um, that they're causing harm and they're trying to do something about it, perhaps not with their full heart 
and, and energies. Um, they've set up some mechanisms to do it better, such as, such as the, um, uh, the review board. And, um, and, and our, our argument is that, um, they haven't nailed it yet. Um, that they're, that they're, that they're, um, that they're, uh, ex- their internal, their internal methods and this board are not sufficient to address the root cause, which is the, the algorithm. And that Congress is, um, not good at it either as a blunt instrument. Um, and would probably do more harm than good. And, you know, the courts and the regulators, um, suck in their own way. Um, and so, and so, you know, if you were going to reduce this to proposal, the, I, you know, the, the draft of the proposal might be something like this. You know, once any entity gets above a hundred, a billion, you know, uh, daily, act, uh, weekly active, monthly active users. A hundred million users. Okay. Once they get above a uh, hundred million, uh, monthly actives, once you get to 100, 100 million MAUs, you now have triggered the threshold by which you have to have some regular, some some um, some uh, some independent oversight, and um, uh, and and you have uh, you can either set up your own independent oversight, which is transparent and um, and, uh, and and independent, and and nevertheless has 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 power over the company, or Congress will do it, you know, or, or a regulator will do it to you, you know, and they're going to, and they're going to, you know, stick you under a public utility commission and, you yeah. know, g- good luck to you. Yeah. Yeah. Might even be 50 million, depending on, on, on what type of, of content. It the, is. The, the problem with 50 million is that, you know, you basically, you know, clubhouse, for example, will go from, you know, from nothing to having triggered in about like two months. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it will. Yes, it will. Which, yes, it seem, it will. which and, seems a little, I mean, but they could also disappear two months later. It could, but it's, it's also owning the public sphere. I mean, there's a I, lot. I would, of, argue, I would argue that you'd have to have a size and time. Um, so in other words, a, a hundred million for a year. And now you're, now you're on the radar. Yeah. Okay. I'd say 50 million for four months. I would, I would come down faster on it. Having built some of these myself. Yeah. Okay. It's, well, it's, but it's, we, we can agree. Cool. We can agree that there's a there's a threshold. Yeah, there's a threshold somewhere in there. And 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 and, and you and you could say that you know with with great power comes great responsibility. You know, good news, you're you're a unicorn. You know, <laughs> good news, you're a success. By the way, I lived this right. I lived this with drones because we said we said you know because because drones were highly regulated. It's aerospace, it's weapons, all this kind of stuff, and we found all these loopholes. As did you know Uber and, and and Waymo and 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 PayPal and and everybody else, and we found all these loopholes, and we just sort of you know innovated with you know open source and community until at a certain point we had ten million we we had one million units you know out there um, and ten million globally, um, and at that point the regulators said two things. Number one, they said. Um, well, we can't stop you now, <laughs> you know, the genie's out of the bottle, but, you know, but we can, we can now put you, we can now put walls around your sandbox. And if you want to kind of move to the next layer of permissions, you're going to have to, you know, we can't, we can't stop you from doing what you're doing, but we can stop you from doing the next thing you want to do. And the way you're going to get to this next thing is not by conforming to our rules, but rather working with us to develop new rules. And that was you know, that was 10 years, that was well, five years ago in particular when they brought us in. And it's going to, it basically says the, you know, the penalty for your 
you know, your, your, your skyrocketing success in the early days is you're just going to have to play the regulatory game for your next, your next chapter. Your next five years are going to be working with us to do, to, you know, to come up with appropriate regulations. To protect the public from your drones falling on their heads or spy. or self-driving cars or fintech, you know, and, and, and Robin Hood uh, is just going through this right now. Yeah. And all to of them are saying how to gamble. Yeah, absolutely. All of them are saying, you know, basically we can't stop you, but we can make your life miserable unless you work with us to do the right thing for society, whatever that how, means. But Chris, what was your reaction when they came to you with that? Um, my reaction was, look, the old model was do things our way. And the new model was help us do things the new way. And my my reaction was initially, you know, euphoria. They're listening to us. They understand that the, that the game has changed. They want to, to, you know, to be more internet Silicon Valley. Like I'm thrilled that, you know, that they're, that they're paying attention. They respect us enough to ask us to help write these new regs. Um, then that led, led to, you know, the dismay of realizing just how slow and inefficient this process is. And now I find myself, you know, basically sitting in, in you know, regulatory committees, you know, for the rest of my life. Um, and yeah, I got to say that the, you know, that the uh, that the honor I feel being invited is, is diminished to the tedium of actually doing it. But nevertheless, you know, when I pull back, you know, the, you know, everyone one thing that all revolutionaries learn is it's a great to be a revolutionary. Fuck the man, tear down the system. What, what do you do? What do you win? Now you're the establishment and you have to move from tearing down to building up. And it's a completely different skill set, and it's not that much fun, but it's kind of what you got to do. Different and so personality I think, type. Exactly. So I think that, the, you know, that, that now that we've torn down newspapers and torn down traditional media, we have to build up something new. And although it's not in our DNA and it's no fun, it's kind of what we got to do. And I, and I kind of feel that way, that, that now's the time. Like Everyone's like, oh, I'm going to start this network effect company. It's going to be so fun. It's going to be colorful. Everyone's going to talk about it. Everyone's going to love me. We're going to make a ton of money. It's going to be perfect. There's going to be no downsides. That's just, I mean, come on, guys. Like, grow up. Like, yes, there's going to be some downsides. And it is the it is the case that you have to take care of the public sphere. You can't let the drones drop on people's heads. Yeah. I mean, w- watching Robin Hood, you know, deal with the, you know, the, the most extraordinary you know, penalty of success, which is their capital requirements. It's like, we are, we have so much business that we don't have, we can't satisfy our capital requirements, our reserves, you know, to, to take people's money. It was, it's, it was, it was an incredible kind of wake up call. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So the, the idea would be to go to them and say, look, you haven't done enough. You need to do more. Um, and, there needs to be what a government paid for person who gets embedded in the company. Absolutely like not. So ombudsman? the uh, uh, newspaper ombudsmen, uh, they're called men. I don't know why, but that's just old fashioned thing. Um, we're always paid for by the, by the newspaper. They're employees of the newspaper. Um, but they are, um, uh, they're, they're, they're given a, a set term. So they can't just be fired for cause. Um, they, uh, they report publicly as well as, so you know all the reports are public as well as as well as private. Um, they um, they report the complaints that come in, um, and they have the ability to talk to anybody and go anywhere within the company. They have a pass. You know they can they can they can open the kimono and and see the algorithm if they want. Um, and so they are they're you know when you pick somebody you try to pick somebody who has wisdom 
judgment, um, respect and gravitas. And, um, and it's not an asshole because, you know, you can't fire them, you know, until they're, until the term is over. And that person needs to be proactive. And they'd be proactive. And if they're, if they're considered to be a puppet, they won't be respected, um, from outside. Um, and if they're, and if they decide, if they kind of go rogue and, you know, decide to, you know, rip up the company, then, um, it's going to be an unpleasant situation and they'll appoint someone less, less draconian next time. Next time. And they, and this person will be allowed to address the root algorithmic causes. Not just the consequences of that, not just an piece of content, but the algorithmic problems and maybe even the product problems, product design problems. Well, it's not clear whether let's say they discover that there is, you know, an algorithm that is, you know, causing people to, I don't know, become racist. Um, they may not be allowed to disclose the, the, the details of the algorithm. It might be proprietary. Um, and so there, there'd probably have to be some sort of NDA where, you know, where proprietary information doesn't cross the firewall. Um, they would ha- absolutely have to have access to it, but they might not be able to completely describe it in their public report. Um, so there could be some redaction. Um, and, you know, okay. Um, you know, so be it. But they could at least report on the fact that, look, the way the algorithm works today produces X amount of racism, which is, you know, we want to reduce that from a factor of 25 down to a factor of 8 to 10. Exactly. And these proposals have been made, and we're going to hear in two or three weeks from the algorithm team whether they accept those those recommendations or not. If so, then we'll implement them. Within four weeks, we'll have we'll, we'll see if it actually moved it down to 8 or 10 because our recommendations may or may not be right as to how to move that number, and we'll let you know as it goes forward. And so there would be this public sphere. People could be talking about it, reading right. about it. Yeah. And the company and, and, and so like a um, inspector general or the general accounting office um, would do an investigation. Um, the GAO, by the way, is, is, is the government equivalent of an ombudsman. The GAO has access to um, uh, to the employees of the government employees. I think the GAO may even have subpoena power, um, but they can see all the books. They come out with a report. That report may have some redaction. And then the agency or the entity is required within 60 days to respond. Okay. And um, and theoretically, this person could be nibble. Do you think there could be a committee of people that do that? Do you think you know, you, there's no there's require an engineer and a, a writer? There's no a, reason why the ombudsman can't have a staff. Um, I think I think the problem with a committee is that you end up with these kind of you know a blanched um, you know um, uh, rulings. Um, you end up with looking for consensus or even majority, um, and it. Um, and it just just dulls. So and so has conversations there and there, and then no. And else. you end up with dissenting reports and things like that. It, get, it gets complicated. Um, so I, I would. I like this idea. It just requires a very special person to be this ombudsman. Except for we've done it successfully for uh, you know for eighty years within newspapers. Um, the New York Times had an ombudsman until last year. But I guess my, my my point is that it's much more complicated now because you have to understand product, you have to understand algorithms, you have to understand. I mean, there's a lot of sort of details to understand. And um, but so, I, you know, I, I do think that it reduces to a modest proposal. And the modest proposal is, you know, when companies pass a certain threshold, you know, um, they have now they've now triggered a requirement to um, exercise a tri- their responsibility to society. Uh, or an ombudsman in their committee to and they have these particular rules. Cool. All right. Awesome. You're the best. Thank you so much. Bye. See ya.
You've been listening to the NFX podcast. You can rate and review this show on Apple Podcasts, and you can subscribe to the NFX podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. For more information on building iconic technology companies, visit nfx.com.